Hi, my name is Tim. Landon asked me to read the scripture for today. Titus, a loved brother, a faithful servant, and a fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is one with Onesimus, a faithful and loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcision are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have become a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Jesus Christ, greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you. For those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis, Luke, the loved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house, where this letter has been read among you. Have it read also in the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Thank you, Tim. So, you know, I think it's, it's valuable for us on a... Uh, a weekly basis as we especially are going through a letter and breaking it down a little bit by little bit to have time to just hear the word of, of God presented for us. And I, I think it's healthy and for me enjoyable to hear it from different voices. And so, Tim, thank you for being willing to, to do that. If you're new with us, today is actually the last day of a 12-week series that we've been in journeying through uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, that we call Colossians. And so it's kind of bittersweet. I've enjoyed being in Colossians, and we'll, we'll wrap it up this morning. As Tim read that, you probably noticed there's a lot of names. And I don't know if you've experienced this, if, if you've read the scriptures before at all. You get to a point, and there's many within in the Bible, where you have this list of names, and I can't pronounce most of them. And you go like does this really matter? Can I just kind of skip through this? I'm kind of bored. It doesn't make sense. Is there any relevance with this part? I don't know if you've experienced that, but, but I have. And this passage, I think, could feel a little bit like that. Paul's already said everything that matters, right? Now he's just saying some greetings between some people. That's not really relevant for us. My, my hope for today, though, um, is that we'll see, we're going to kind of dive deeper into each of these names and the other portions of scripture where they're listed and, and, and into their history and involvement. And what you're going to see, I hope, is this. And, and we've been saying this throughout the series, that this is a letter written by a real person, Paul, to a real church of people united in their following of Jesus in a real place called Colossae. I've been there. It's in modern-day Turkey. And they were dealing with real life like we were. It wasn't this building they gathered in that's called church, but rather, like this says, the church is a people who, and so they were the people of the city called Colossae, united in the following of Jesus. And like us, they had issues and sin and brokenness, and they were imperfect, and they were ordinary, yet 
by God's grace and his spirit and their identity in Christ, which Paul worked hard to convey to them in this letter, God did extraordinary things through them. And and so for the first part of of our time together, what we're going to do is just look at these names. And hopefully you'll have a picture painted of the people that we've actually talked about, of the people Paul would send to the Colossians and their real church. And so we'll start... Uh, listing actually six of them. There's six people that Paul sends greetings from. He says, these six want you, Colossian people, and this church in Colossae, they want you to know that they greet you and and they might see you at some point. The six are uh, as as follows. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice called Jesus. Epaphras, or excuse me, Jesus called Justice. Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. They send greetings to the Colossian church. And And what we read over and glance over is that maybe misinterpretations of the scriptures had actually led to some pretty deeply rooted racism for God's, quote-unquote, chosen and elected people. And so often what ends up happening is the Jewish people wanted nothing to do with the Gentile people. In fact, they did not want them to experience this God's love because this God was their God. And so there's this pretty steep divide here at many points throughout the scriptures. Yet in the midst of this, these six, three whom are Gentiles, non-Jewish, and three who are Jewish, all in unity, send their greeting to the Colossian church. And so you see this moment as we look at this greeting where the gospel, the power of our God transcends Issues in our culture, which are are still alive and well, like racism, like ethnic divides. That's powerful. This is the power of this gospel, and we're going to see more examples of that. We move on to to verse 7, which says this. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful servant, and fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. That's not the most glamorous line in the world. Like It's kind of like in the credits of a movie, like... Here's the producer, and you go, I don't really care. Like, this is kind of about Paul and that church. So he'll tell you everything about who? Not even himself, not even God. He's just going to tell you about Paul. Like, that's this line this guy gets. But if we look at uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five through 27, and we trace back Tychicus' life through Acts and the other epistles, it can actually be stated that this, these are Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, but really Tychicus could have written this as well. He endured and went through all or most of these. I want to read it to you. So put yourself in the shoes of this man that we just read one sentence about. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. This happened in Ephesus where Paul's currently writing his letter from prison. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing, like this is kind of glorious. Like these are the things that movies are made of and you go, here's a hero and this poor guy gets one sentence. Our dearly loved brother, faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord and he'll tell you all the news about me, Paul says. It's not super glamorous. And then we, we, we find out later that this man probably delivered this letter, right? So this is a real letter written on paper on, with a pen, right? In prison by Paul. 
But Paul's in prison, so he's not taking the letter, and Tychicus does. And we've discussed, even if you look at this map here, the, the distance from Ephesus to Colossae is pretty similar to from Prescott to Phoenix. I picture Nate and his family who drove up last night, right? That distance. That's how far, but there's no cars, on foot. And, and Ephesus is similar in climate, at least when I was there, to, to Arizona. It's hot. Like he went 100 miles, likely on foot, delivering this letter. That's a lot of time to think, like, that's a lot of time in your own head, and it's dangerous, and there's threats all around him, and it's hot and sweaty and dirty. And I imagine there's moments, after he's already endured these things, right, where this guy's going, what am I doing with my life? Like, I'm walking on this dirty, dusty road with this letter from one guy to these people. Something went wrong. Or maybe this will all be worth it. I don't know, but really, I need to deliver this letter now. Little did he know, this is pretty profound, I think. Little did he know that this letter he would deliver, we would be reading this morning. It would bless us and be the conduit through which God's grace would be given to us. And it would last longer than the Roman Empire that day. Like, can you imagine that? Him walking on this dirty, dusty road, having this piece of paper, right? Fathoming that it would last longer than the Roman Empire. Like, this is the power of God's grace and gospel. They tried to kill Jesus. They did. But he rises from the dead because he triumphs. Sin tries to to tackle and put us to death. Yet, through Jesus, we rise because of his righteousness and his sacrifice and his love. Throughout the history of the church, the moments when the church explodes and grows in, in mysterious and powerful ways, it's through persecution. This gospel, this good news, this God cannot be put down. What a story. What a faithful act of one man who went through a lot. And he gets one little sentence here. But we wouldn't have this letter, perhaps, right, if he didn't deliver it. So you never know in your life what one thing you do, what what act of love, of service that might seem as pointless as a hundred-mile journey through the desert and dust. And the last thing you want to do he didn't know we'd be sitting here today. I can, I can guarantee that. But here we are. And so you don't know the power of God's love moving through you. Kent Hughes puts it this way in his, his commentary on Colossians. What would be the use of Paul's letter if it didn't get delivered? What would be the use of his towering thought in the opening chapters of Colossians? And it's compelling application if no one ever read it. What was the name of Charles Lindbergh's mechanic? Who blocked for Barry Sanders when he won the Heisman? So it is with the seemingly small, unromantic things we do for Christ. Some of them are absolutely indispensable to God's work, and we will never know how much so until we get to heaven. I love that picture. You need to know that. We move on to the next person mentioned in our our letter here, which is Onesimus. He also has a pretty in-depth, complex story. Actually, there's a... uh, entire letter, book, if you want to call it that, of the Bible about him. It's called Philemon because Philemon was his master. If you remember, a few weeks ago we talked, or Paul talked, about the relationship dynamics between masters and slaves. And so Onesimus is actually the slave of Philemon who lived in Colossae. So we glance over this, but there's a, there's a lot going on in this relationship. Not only that, but he's the runaway slave who stole from Philemon, who's a part of the church in Colossae, and then went to Rome to get away from it all. So he wrongs this guy 
who's a, a follower of Christ. He goes to Rome. Somewhere in this journey, he meets Paul, and transformation happens. Now, now for a second, picture this, okay? What do you think that relationship would be like between Onesimus, the slave who ran away and robbed and harmed Philemon? Like, what would that look like? It's probably not going to feel good and warm. It's probably not going to be a great relationship, let alone one of equality at this point and in this culture. But look at what Paul says in Philemon 9 through 12. This is Paul writing to Philemon. I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I fathered him while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you. More than that, he was a runaway robbing slave. But now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you as a part of myself. Like there's this deep picture of love rooted in this. And Paul says this about Onesimus here in Colossians. He is with Onesimus, runaway slave who robbed. A faithful, that's a fascinating word, faithful. Faithful is a really interesting word to describe somebody that robbed you and ran away from you. A faithful, not only that, and dearly loved brother, part of the family who is one of you. That's some pretty big transformation. Again, here's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work. That's a big shift. We continue on to Mark, verse 10. Mark greets you, Barnabas' cousin, concerned, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so here's the backstory on Mark, Barnabas' cousin, is that him and Paul had been on these missionary journeys together before. They had been to lots of places. They were working and serving together until Mark abandoned Paul. He left him. He said, you know what, I've had enough for whatever reason we don't know, but I'm not going to continue on this journey. And we know enough to know that Paul wasn't okay with that. Paul was pretty upset. So much so that Paul and Barnabas, who had been working together to spread the gospel, they split ways. They get into this argument and Paul says, no, we're not going to take Mark. He left us. And Barnabas says, we should. And they can't come to this agreement. And so Paul recruits Silas. They go off in one direction. Silas and Mark go off in another. And there's this conflict and this distance and separation. And we don't know exactly what happened in the time in between that moment and this moment. But it sounds like forgiveness and reconciliation in this moment. Barnabas, cousin Mark, concerning whom you have received instructions, welcome him. Invite him in. He is with us. He belongs. Here's another moment of transformation. Next we have Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, he's from Colossae, a slave of Christ Jesus greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Heropolis. There's this imagery that comes with these words Paul uses to describe the way in which Epaphras is praying. The, the root word here used for contending is actually the same one used to describe Jesus' prayer in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's sweating blood, recognizing that he's about to be separated from the Father and endure the crucifixion. Same root word here. 
Jesus was in agony in this moment, sweating blood, contending here. Epaphras is agonizing in prayer. That's the extent to which he loves and cares and is concerned for the Colossian church. That's another picture of deep love. So all of a sudden, Epaphras looks like Jesus and how Jesus prays. He cares so much, he's agonizing over them. That's a beautiful picture of selfless love for the concern of those he cared about. He's from Colossae. Again, here's the power of the gospel, the good news, the spirit of God working because of Jesus Christ. Next, Luke, verse 14. Luke, the dearly loved physician. You have this interesting connection. So often, still today, as a result of different philosophers, we want to separate and compartmentalize life. We have our, our spiritual, we have our emotional, we have our physical, we have our relational, our intellectual, and, and they're all in different compartments. But in this moment, Paul is really emphasizing what he's taught. He said, do everything that you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Your relationships, your work, your vocation, your hobbies, your everything. And so you have this title, dearly loved. He's a faithful brother. He's with us in Christ. He's part of the family and he's a physician. He has the secular title, and both matter, and they're not opposing. They don't separate. They work together because we as the church, they as the church, were to be the conduit of grace through which the grace of Jesus flows to one another and the world around us. Uh, Kent Hughes says it this way. There is a combining of the spiritual label, beloved or dearly loved, and the secular title, physician. It depicts a world and life view where the things above, if you remember from Colossians 3, infiltrate and transform the things below. The things where Jesus is, where Christ is, and the things where we are. They connect. Whatever one does, be one a physician, slave, or master, be one a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker, Colossians contends that all things are to be done in the Lord's name and service. And so there's not just a quick name to glance over. Paul's painting a picture. Here's what life looks like called to follow this Jesus, who is our Christ, our Savior, and our Lord, our King, the definer of all that is good, his intent for us. We become human the way we were made to be as we seek his intent. And those things are one. They're not opposing. They're not separate. Next, we come to Demas. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas greet you. We read about Demas in, uh, in Timothy. As Paul writes a letter to Timothy, it says this. For Demas has deserted me, this is later, okay, because he loved this present world. It's interesting. So in Colossians, you have this, this moment where Paul says, put off the old, seek the things that are above, not the things of this world. Yet, this guy that was sending greetings in this letter that we have today has deserted him because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. He leaves. Again, we, we get this picture of real people, real church, real issues, real brokenness, real life. This wasn't all perfect. And, and so I think these, these are really important details for us to see that they, as a church, a people who are united in their following of Jesus are like us as a church, a people united in our following of Jesus. And it's not all perfect. It's pretty ordinary. It's broken but it's dependent on God's grace doing extraordinary work, and he does, even in the midst of desertion and rebellion and walking away from God. Lastly, 
in verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home, the church in her home. Culturally, that means she has some type of leadership position, at least in the terms of hospitality to host. There's likely multiple house churches in these cities, and, and Paul's writing to all of them. But, but this woman is in a leadership position hosting the church. Like, that doesn't culturally make sense. So again, in this moment, the gospel's transcending cultural norms and, and saying men, women, all ethnicities, all people are made in the image of God, are welcomed, are invited, are good. We go back to Genesis and he said, it is good. And Paul's communicating that again and again. Paul would go on, it's pretty firmly believed, to be killed, to be martyred because of Jesus the Christ and Lord. Likely he was beheaded in Rome later. Like They killed Paul. They likely killed other people who were listed in this letter. Uh, a few weeks ago, if you remember, when uh, we interviewed Ed and he talked about the translation process uh, of the scriptures and people who were burned at the stake for it. Like many people have died because of this faith, because of the good news of Jesus, our Christ. Yet this letter that's delivered by one man who gets this one unglamorous sentence that we're reading today, that letter couldn't be put to death. That letter's still here. We, we receive and experience God's grace through it, and here's why. Because Jesus cannot be held down. The good news of our God never stops, it never ends, it never gives up. Nothing can hold him down. And, and it's this incredible picture that this letter lasts longer than the Roman Empire. Like, we can sit here and go, cool. But as he's walking that dirty road, like, you don't experience that. And there's moments in our lives, I'm sure you can relate, process it, where it feels like you're walking down this never-ending, really hot, dirty, dusty road going, God, what are you doing? Does anything matter? Does anything I do matter? I'm never going to get to Phoenix walking on foot. It's hot. Where are you? What am I doing? How does this, this work? Does this matter? But God's grace flows through his people. It always has, and that's his plan, that he allows us to experience him. He reveals his love and character and story and plan through his church. As broken as it is, as ordinary as it is, as sinful as it is, God redeems, restores, transforms, and we become the conduit. By his power, not ours. Really, our job is to get out of the way. And we'll talk about that in our next series. That's a pretty incredible picture. So I, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about us. We too are a church, real people, real place, real time. And God has called us to be a signpost. We've talked about that throughout the series. A, a picture, our lives, as people look at the way we speak and love and act, not just here, more so in our, our families, our relationships, our vocations, our, our budgets, our everything. They should see a signpost that says Jesus coming soon. And he's going to reign one day here in our world as king in all things, all brokenness. That's why it says broken stories becoming beautiful there. will be restored to his intent. And that is good. And people should see our lives and go, yeah, they might not have it all together. But what they're, what they're professing, what they're proclaiming is that Jesus is coming soon. Here's the signpost. And that is really good news because he can't be held down. I want to 
I'm going to share a picture for you in a minute of our church that you probably don't get to see. I have a different window to you all than you do. And so I want to share that. But first, I'm going to take about five minutes. I've kind of edited Colossians. Um, and I'm going to reread through it. I've taken some chunks out, so we're not here for 30 more minutes. It's going to take me about five minutes. It's interesting. Paul says, take this letter and have it read in Laodicea and Heropolis and take theirs and read them as well. And so there's so much of this letter that applies to us, that applies to you as the church. And so as I, I read this, don't read it necessarily. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just soak it in. They would have heard it audibly in one moment. I want you to. Because I think God's word is active and alive and powerful. So let's go ahead and listen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers, grace to you, God's blessing to you, and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope and the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We're a signpost of that kingdom to come. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless. Before him, that is your identity in Christ. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, 
based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator, becoming human the way we are created to be. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy in love, that's you, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Why is he required? Because this is such good news that he can't not share it. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This greeting is in my own hands, Paul. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. I want to look at the first two verses and the last verse one last time as we close our time in Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, you are saints through Christ, who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This letter starts with this, grace to you. Grace to you from Christ. And then let's look at the last four words of this letter. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. The, the letter starts with grace to you. Paul says because of Jesus, grace is given to you. Okay? But that doesn't end. Now as he ends the letter, grace is with you and it will continue to be. This isn't a one-time thing. Grace to you. Grace with you. And the fruit of grace to you and with you is this. Grace through you. That you, we, 
just as they were, are the conduit through which, the avenue through which God's grace is outpoured, his love is given, his covering and his spirit comes upon the people he cares for. That's you. Grace to you. Grace is with you in everyday life, not just here. Maybe even more so in your families, in your relationships, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your vocations, in everything. Grace has been given to you. Grace is with you. And if we allow him to, grace will flow through you. And in the midst of brokenness, that's who we are. In the midst of vulnerability and moments we mess up. In the midst of just being ordinary and not enough, God says, no, you are enough. Because Jesus sets the price tag and he says, you are worth my life. You are loved and grace will flow through you. Kent Hughes summarizes this beautifully with this. He says, have you received Christ's fullness? Say, here's my cup. Fill it up, Lord. May we hold the miracle of being filled with the fullness of God right before us. May we seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There is more fullness for our lives as we open our lives more fully to him. May we experience that and may the theme of this great epistle burn into our lives. May we be willed to overflowing with Jesus Christ. In Colossians terminology, the fullness of Christ floods our souls and overflows to others. Grace to you, grace with you, and then grace through you. You're the conduit of God's grace, not by your power or efforts, but because you are now united with Christ and his spirit is alive and active and with you. I said I wanted to share a picture of you as the church. And so I wrote just a few things down. I could go on and on for a long time. And these are just the stories, just the little tiny things I'm aware of. And there's a ton I'm not aware of. But, but I wrote down a few things just to, to share with you. Stories of the church, meaning the people who are here as Restoration Church united in our following of Jesus. I think of Kim Tate, who we prayed for about a month ago as they moved, her and Joe, to Colorado. And for almost a year, she came here every single week. I shared this with you. And she cleaned this building so that we could enjoy it. Like, that's pretty generous and gracious. I remember the time when our family was sick, and I shared this with you too. And she offered to come and clean the house while we were sick. That's disgusting. Like, that's not normal. Normal people should not offer to do that. I think of Emily who is stepping up to, to set up the rooms in our kids while Whitney goes on maternity leave starting this next week, and that's going to happen. How gracious. Or, or Brittany who's going to take over scheduling and a lot of the, the lead responsibilities for Whitney. Why? Because they just want to serve the church and love and, and equip parents and be there for them. Toby, who when it rained last week, Whitney called and said, hey, my roof is leaking, and he's there the next day to take a look at it and, and provide Carrie, who, who has been a part of this church and let someone live in his house during a season of transition. Tim, who's been an encouragement to me personally with God's word over and over and over again. Communities that have traveled distances to other cities to mourn with those who are mourning. I think about the amount of rides that have been provided in this church. I think we're in the hundreds easily of rides that have been given. Just last week, uh, Richard, who, who goes here, needed to go to the store to get some medicine in between the gatherings, and he wasn't sure he was going to be able to make it back. And so James just said, let's go. They go in between the services, and they were both back worshiping with us in between. Sandra, who's made 
multiple meals for people within this church. Kathy and Vic, who've opened their homes up multiple times for different people in our worship leaders, and even uh, for Nate and Emily, and gave them a car to use this morning. Like, that's just not normal. Not to mention the, the financial generosity of so many of you in this church, to the church, to one another, to this community. The time spent in conversation, just listening, being there, supporting, encouraging, pouring into families and marriages. The time spent in prayer in this building, in communities, in our homes, for our marriages, for our families, for the businesses in the city, for the government and political leaders as we seek God's will and his kingdom to come, as we seek for us to be a signpost of Jesus coming soon. Like, that's beautiful. You are beautiful and this is a tiny little bit of scratching the surface of just some of the stories that I know. We're ordinary people, broken, being restored to God's intent, becoming human the way we were made to be by the ultimate, beautiful, glorious, undefeatable power of the love and grace, not of us, but of Jesus. That's good news. Well done. Keep up that work because that's our call as a church. Not to, to fill this room or building, not to do great programs, but to be a people who carry the name and essence and character and love and story of our God to one another and the community around us. I'm going to close with this last thing. I shared last week, I just want to give you a really tangible example of, of the power of God's spirit. I shared last week, if you were with us, the story of how I was putting my son, who's two, uh, to bed, and it took me like an hour because he's at that stage where everything's scary. And so I finally get him to bed, right? And then I'm pretty tired. And finally, after an hour, my oldest daughter screams, Daddy. And so I run in there and I'm kind of frustrated. And I'm like, shh, and a little angry and I'm tired. And everything changed, though, when I just looked at her eyes and just compassion and love. And it's that moment where you go like, oh, my gosh, I can't even, like, put the words, the love I have for this girl. Like, nothing could end that. And I wrapped her up and hugged her and we talked and prayed. And, and she went on her bed. And it was just this good moment, right? And, and this crazy shift just really quickly from, like, frustration to, like, just love. And then I shared how I took, like, two steps and it just felt like this five-gallon bucket or dump truck of water was just poured out on me. And there's this biblical image there, right, where it's the covering of God's spirit that I just felt so clearly. And that doesn't happen often, certainly not all the time, every now and then. And I just felt it and either felt or heard this voice that said, as I looked back at Aaliyah, my daughter, in her bunk bed, that's how I love you. I'm like, whoa, that doesn't even make sense, except perfectly and I shared that with you to say, like, that's how you're loved by God. He leaves the 99 for the one, and then he rejoices. And then I get this text on Friday from one of our community leaders. We were texting back and forth uh, about some things, and she, she told me the funny thing about the story you shared last week. I was actually on the phone with Nate when I received this text, this, I think, Friday. She said, the funny thing about that story that you shared last week is that there was a part one. A part one? What do you mean? <laughs> there was no, yeah, my son wouldn't go to sleep. That was part one. And she says, the, the night that that happened or the night before, I couldn't sleep. And I was up all night crying and uh, praying over the church. Like, you know, it sounds kind of like agonizing in prayer. Kind of like Epaphras, kind of like Jesus. She said, my prayer was a blessing over this church, over God's people and over you, that God would outpour his love. And I read this and like as I'm reading this text, it's like goosebumps because 
there was such a distinct moment of this feeling. Like, that doesn't just happen. And it's tied into her prayer. And she said as she sat over here last week, she just goes, God said, that's how I answered your prayer. Grace flows through you. Grace to you from Jesus Christ. Grace is with you, with Jesus Christ and his spirit. And grace flows through you as we are the church. May we continue to allow God to flow through us. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. Your love is beyond our grasp and understanding. We are thankful for you. May you overwhelm us, not just with a feeling, but with a knowledge, with an experience, with an understanding and a grasp and a comprehension of your love. Give us power, God, to know that we have been given grace to us from you, that your grace is with us. And as a result, God, open our hearts, empty us of self so that your grace can flow through us to one another as a church and to the community around us because we and the world around us desperately need you. You are good and we love you. We worship you. We praise you and we seek you. Move amongst us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're new with us here at Restoration Church, we continue our our worship every week in response. And we respond in three ways. One is through reflection. Reflect that you've been given grace. That grace is still with you. And reflect on the ways that God wants grace to flow through you. Over and over again, the scriptures give this example of gifts given to the church in different ways and forms and contexts. Pray for those gifts, for this church, for one another, that God would use us to be generous with ourselves, with our ears to listen, with our hearts to feel, with our hands to work, with our finances, with our being and our time to say we're going to be givers of what is good because our God is the ultimate giver of what is good and it's abundant. It's a well that never dries. Reflect on that. How is grace to flow through you? And then we we respond and worship by taking communion every week. And as we come to the table and the bread and the cup, symbolizing Jesus' body and blood, we recognize that he did not stay in the grave, but that he rose. What we recognize that through his rising, we have this letter of Colossians that we spent all summer in and it's beautiful and it's good news and nothing can hold it down because it's God who created it, saved it, and sustains it. And so whether you're going to take communion as an individual or your family or with your community, take that and recognize the power of Christ in you, to you, with you, and through you. And then lastly, if you call Restoration Church home or or you want to give, there's two boxes to give at in the back of the room. Or if you'd prefer to to give online, there's instructions on, on how you could do that in the card in front of your seat. Let's continue to worship now in our response.